Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. I'm here today with Dr. Fernando Sanchez, and he is known as the best neurologist in Laredo, Texas. He has been a neurologist in private practice um, with the Laredo Medical Group since 1997. He got his undergraduate degree and at the Universidad de Guadalajara in Guadalajara, Mexico. He then did his postdoctoral study and residency at NYU Medical Center. He is a member of the American Academy of Neurology, the American Clinical Neurophysiology Society, and an honorary member. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go into more about what you're doing. I'm very fortunate to, to work on what I love, which is medicine, and in particular, neurology. I work with the most fascinating, the most amazing organ in the body, the human brain. And that has been a total fulfillment in my life. I have been in private practice since uh, 1997. After doing my residency training in NYU in neurology, uh, I was also chief resident of the neurology program and an instructor of neurology. And after that, I joined the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where I trained in clinical neurophysiology. And after that, I, I've been in private practice since then, both uh, including office practice and hospital practice. And in the hospital, pretty much in every setting, from the emergency room to the hospital floors in the medical care and also in the intensive care unit. I also perform in neurodiagnostic tests such as nerve conduction studies, electromyograms, electroencephalograms, and also diagnostic procedures such as targeted injections to certain nerves, and also ultrasound studies of the brain arteries and of the carotid arteries that supply blood to the brain. In general, that's a, a, a very broad perspective of, of what I do. But I will be happy to answer more questions in, in that aspect if, if you want me to. So you have basically devoted your career to helping people with neurological challenges and injuries. What are the maybe newer developments that you're finding in this area that you really find exciting? I think there are several. Uh, I don't think I can single out just 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 one or two. I think the most important ones are the interaction between the new technologies and the human body. The interfacing of computing and the brain. All these new technologies, such as nanotechnologies, bioinformatics, Computer science applied to the human and biological sciences are really exciting and they're going to turn medicine and neurology around in a way that is actually difficult to imagine. You are rated as one of the best neurologists in Laredo, Texas. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about stroke care in Texas and maybe or 
even around your area? Sure. Laredo, Texas is a medium-sized city, and we're very fortunate to have hospitals equipped to provide acute stroke care. One of the nationally recognized treatments for acute stroke is the quick triage and application of a medication that is known as a thrombolytic. That means a medication that is used to dissolve clots. Most of the times, 80% of the times, it is a clot that blocks the circulation to an area of the brain. And these medications, if applied within a period of approximately four and a half hours after the onset of the symptoms, can actually dissolve the clot and improve significantly and dramatically the outlook or recovery of the patient. That's a standard of care. And again, we're fortunate enough to be able to provide this treatment here in Laredo. Other treatments that are more sophisticated and require more specialized care and actual 24-7 dedicated personal and interventionalist doctors such as neuroradiologists are available at a short distance from our city, such as in San Antonio, which is approximately 150 miles from here, or in Houston, Texas, 350 miles from here. One of the treatments that is provided in those specialized centers is called endovascular treatment, which involves threading a catheter through an artery in the groin all the way up to the heart and from there to the arteries that supply blood to the brain. Then they inject a dye to localize where the obstruction to the blood flow is. And they can, after that, thread a catheter with a claw-like device that actually removes the clot and restores the circulation. That is also standard of care treatment that is provided nearby. And Texas is well equipped to provide the, that treatment. Going on here, many are told, many stroke survivors are told uh, that recovery ends at a certain point. I know myself, I, I feel like you can keep recovering years later um, as long as you keep working at it. What are your thoughts or what are your thoughts of, of maybe your colleagues or, or other people that you speak with? It, it is not true. The recovery has an, a beginning, but it doesn't have an end. It never finishes. Recovery is a continuum, it's a process. You actually finish recovering until the moment you die, but not before, not even a minute before. The recovery, it's a, it's a, it's a program, and both your brain and your entire body participate on it. It is true that certain patients reach a plateau or a sort of a standby in the recovery process, but after that, they continue on recovering. It used to be thought and used to be believed that after a period of six months, whatever recovery you have obtained 
that was all. No further improvement was possible. However, it has been found and confirmed time and time again that recovery continues, even years after this stroke. Even in people who have not received therapy for years, the moment they start receiving therapy or exercising by themselves with some help, the recovery process gets awakened again and continues for the rest of the life of, of the person. I really agree that uh, recovery continues. And, and I know I'm only five and a half years out, but I know as I try new things, as long as I keep working at it, it gets better and better. And, um, but I do know that, that when I was going through therapy and stuff, I was told, oh, you're going to make a lot of progress in the first three months and you'll still make progress at six months and you'll make progress at a year. But, you know, after about 18 months, that's it. Well, I found that that's not true. And I've talked to some people uh, more recently also who uh, kind of say the same thing you do, that as long as um, you keep, I guess, uh, I want to say moving forward, you can um, continue making progress. That the recovery continues. It's a process. Uh, it it progresses as long as you let it continue. Um, not, not only the speech, motor, language, cognition, all, all the areas in which the brain is involved can improve. And as long as you continue challenging yourself, there is no limit. And actually, I think that you should challenge your limits and not the, the other way around, which is limit your challenges. Different modalities of therapy, both the conventional, the new ones, the self-applied, the recovery just continues. It is, it is a, a marvelous, endless process. What are, do you find are the biggest challenges as stroke care today? Well, the biggest challenge, I think, is the healthcare turmoil that we're in. Many times we know what is best for a given patient. However, lack of insurance coverage, undercoverage, or limitations imposed by the insurance carrier actually are barriers that prevent the patient to receive the best care available. I think that's the biggest challenge that we're facing. And until those challenges, which have to do with financial reasons, obviously, get removed, I think the patient will have the opportunity to to continue improving. That is the biggest challenge. However, there are ways around it. As long as there is participation of the patient, family and friends, and society as a whole, every stroke survivor can be helped and improved. Yes. And, um, you know, survivors still, I think, we're, we're getting more um, help these days than we did, um, as I've always said, 15 or 20 years would, ago we would have. But we're still, I think, leaving the hospitals or the clinics 
or the rehab hospitals or the outpatient therapy or whatever it is um, too soon for some and then some go home and they're isolated or they're just not getting the therapy that they need and they may be unable to get out you know on their own do you see a good way to get through this problem to address this situation yes absolutely we we face these challenges every every day and you're right some patients are released from the hospital before they are ready due to many reasons but at the same time let me tell you that a general hospital is not the best place to recover from a stroke a hospital is good to save your life to stabilize you and to get you ready to be discharged home or somewhere else but long stays in the hospital are actually not very good for the patient many bad things can happen during the hospital so as soon as the patient is ready either to go home or to some other place that should be done my opinion about stroke care and rehabilitation is that the patient should go from the acute care hospital to a long-term rehabilitation care center not necessarily another hospital but a, a care center that provides comprehensive rehabilitation with multiple multiple modalities physical therapy occupational therapy speech and language therapy swallowing disorders evaluation social reintegration vocational counseling so many factors that are involved in in the care of the of the patient and actually if that care is provided the person will reach a maximum short-term recovery allowing them to from there to go home and then proceed on further recovery and then to the integration back into the society to be productive again either on their on their same previous occupation or on a new one fulfilling as before the one that they had before the stroke so from the hospital to a comprehensive rehabilitation care center now that's the ideal in practice however and again due to limitations and covers from insurance companies that becomes a significant challenge to to do there are private institutions uh, beneficiary uh, institutions that provide some sort of help to reach those goals but still uh, it's just not enough we need more resources devoted to rehabilitation than the ones that are uh, currently allocated. Uh, I was in a hospital for a very short period of time, moved to a rehab hospital where I was there for uh, six weeks, um, and I got you know occupational fit therapy, physical therapy, um, speech therapy. Um, and I had that socialization because they wanted you out of your room and and doing activities or you know eating with other people, even that, if that's the only thing that you could do. Um, and I realized maybe a hospital, just a regular hospital, couldn't accommodate for those 
I mean, they can still do those things, but they really can't accommodate it like a specialized center could. Um, is that what you mean about bad things happening at a hospital? Yes. Uh, when you're in the hospital, you are together with a number of sick people, and your next door neighbor may have pneumonia, may have sepsis, may have a contagious infectious disease uh, that you can contract. In addition, when you're in the hospital, you have intravenous catheters, sometimes also urinary catheters, and they can be the port of entry of an infection as well. Furthermore, hospitals are not equipped with well-trained staff to provide rehabilitation. You make a visit of uh, physical therapy here and there, but in general, nursing staff, doctors, are busy taking care of very sick people and to the ones recovering from an acute illness, they are placed in a, in a secondary role as far as priority goes. It's not to say that they're abandoned, but they receive less intensive care. And once the acute phase is done, the patient should be transferred to a, dedica- to a dedicated rehabilitation center. That's the best way to to do it. Uh, Being discharged from the hospital prematurely once you're still struggling and dealing with the acute phase of of the stroke, that's not appropriate. But I don't see that happening, uh, at least here in Laredo, where I practice. In your opinion or in your thoughts, what do you think is the most important advice that you could give to a survivor or a family member when they go home? Okay. <laughs> I think the, the one that I use the most is not a scientific one. It, it involves more in a spiritual, a spiritual realm, and that's the advice of never to lose hope. When a person is, is struck by, by a disease such as stroke, it's a life-changing event. And a lot of negative thoughts invade the person. But encouraging the person, giving them information, and telling them that they should never lose hope, that they're going to recover, that they're going to do a significant, meaningful recovery, is probably the best advice I I can give them. And in many cases, if they understand that advice, and they work on it, it works extremely well to their benefit. Hope is something that one should never lose. If you maintain not only high hopes, but extreme hopes, that gives you a challenge to succeed. And if you are given the necessary resources and help, you will eventually reach your maximum potential. So hope, never lose hope. That's the best advice I think I can give them. That's really great advice. And I think that um, survivors, well, I think anybody who has a devastating event, whether it's stroke or whatever, they they have to know that there's hope. Um, they they need to know that, you know, it's not the end of, of the world that, that you don't just go home and stop what you're doing. And I think, and this brings us to another uh, 
good part is that um, you are very involved with the Laredo Stroke Support Group. Um, and support groups to me are one of the best things that you could ever um, have, uh, no matter what kind of support group it is. But with stroke, I think that the that the survivor, that the families, that anybody who's a caregiver, that they all need to go. And I think this also can help with giving them hope. Um, but you are involved with this Laredo Stroke Support Group. So um, tell us how you got involved with that, or, or did you help start it, or, or how, um, how is that, or uh, that you did get involved, I guess, is what I want to ask. Yes, well, Laredo Stroke Support Group has a very interesting story. Uh, Bill Henser uh, is my patient. I got to know him about 12 years ago, shortly after he got a stroke, probably about, about a month after he got a stroke. And he was hit really hard. He was extremely weak on his right side, the arm and leg were almost paralyzed. He had a lot of difficulties talking, expressing himself with a condition that we call aphasia. The understanding of the spoken word or the written word for him was very difficult at the beginning. And he could barely talk. He was able to utter a few, a few words only. Over time, months and years went by, and Bill made a significant, amazing recovery. He became able to walk again, to talk again, and actually went back to work again in his same business and his same occupation. He's the model child of a stroke recovery survivor. He and his wife, Lizzie Hunter, had the greatest idea of their lifetime, I believe. They created the Laredo Stroke Support Group from scratch. They got the information from every resource available and through their own efforts, they started recruiting members of the society that could help with this group. And I was fortunate enough to be invited as a board member of the group. And my role with them is, is mainly as a medical advisor in the, in the neurological matters. I usually meet with them every month or so and talk about the, the group, the progress of the group, and the services that it should and, and is actually providing. It has grown from being a scratch paper group to a group that now serves more than 50 stroke survivors and is providing physical therapy, speech therapy, and life skills. Is the only really private uh, stroke support group in, in South Texas. And uh, it has worked very well through their efforts. I cannot myself include as 
as the founder of this group at all. I've just been participating with them from the medical perspective. The dancers are actually the ones that uh, are to be given the gold medal for the creation of the group. So I guess one of the last things that I want to touch on is to improve stroke and traumatic brain injury care, what do you see as the most important thing that needs to happen, or maybe that's already happened? A lot of good things, a lot of good things have already happened, but the best is, is still to come. And uh, let me tell you why. It, it used to be believed that the brain cells were the only ones in the entire human body that could not reproduce. That we were born with a set number of brain cells. And just as a function of passage of time, you will lose them and you will die with a significant lesser number of brain cells than the ones that you were born with. And again, those brain cells were not were not the, to reproduce. That was the long-held belief for centuries. Now, about 15 years ago, it was confirmed that that was not the case, that the brain cells indeed reproduce at a much lesser rate than the cells in the rest of the body, that they do reproduce. And about two years ago, it was found that an area of the hippocampus uh, called the dented gyrus. By the way, the hippocampus is a brain structure involved with memory, learning, recall, modulation of emotions. Uh, this area, the hippocampus, produces approximately 700 new brain cells, new neurons every single day. And from there, they migrate to other different areas of the brain. Now, this is what has been confirmed. What I believe is going to be confirmed in a few years, maybe, is that that is not the, the only area of the brain that reproduces its brain cells. Not only they migrate from there to the rest of the brain, but I think there are other areas of the brain that, that have the same capacity, such as the areas around the ventricles, the wire containing uh, areas of the brain. I think those areas are perfectly suitable as neuron cells reproducing as well. Now, it, it, these uh, fact that the brain cells do reproduce leads to the second aspect of what I want to talk about, which is brain plasticity. The brain is a very dynamic organ. It's, it's nothing, there's nothing static about it. It's always changing. It's always remote, remodeling itself. It's always trying to improve and to get better. And as long as we don't interfere in a negative way to what the brain wants to do, it will continue getting better. It doesn't matter how old the person is. The brain continues getting better. It acquires new functions. It acquires new capabilities. And it just gets better and better over time. It gets wiser and wiser because it accumulates information. It processes that information and converts that into knowledge 
And that knowledge, if you use it in the appropriate way, it, it then becomes wisdom. And wisdom is, is the character of, of the old person and it's the value of the old person. Old doesn't mean to be uh, not working anymore or having lesser producing value compared to a younger being. Older is actually different, is wiser, is better in many aspects. The brain plasticity that I was telling you about refers to that capacity of the brain to remodel itself. When someone has a stroke or a, or a TBI, which is traumatic brain injury, the process of repair starts right away. It used to be thought that the brain was a pretty compartmentalized organ, that it, it, had, it was divided in modules that had certain specialization as far as function. And that is true up to a certain extent. For example, that the language function is mainly left-sided and it's mainly in the frontal and temporal areas. That is completely true. But if you have a lesion in that area, in the temporal lobe, the nearby areas, the parietal and the frontal areas, will take over the function of the area that was lost. And over time, they will reward themselves and take over the language function that was affected. Same goes for moral function, coordination, sensation. So the brain is a very plastic, very malleable organ that again, it wants to repair itself once damaged and always wants to get better. That's the most fantastic thing that we have now. Uh, but what is coming next, again, is the merging of the new technologies with the human body, the computer brain interfacing. And I believe the interplay between artificial intelligence and the brain it's just barely starting. We're barely scraping the potentiality of this, uh, of this new technology. I believe that in the not long distant future, we will have computer chips that can not only be surgically implanted in the brain, but actually tattooed over the skin the scalp uh, on the brain and these uh, tattooed computer chips are going to be able to enhance uh, human capabilities, memory, cognition, mental speed, language, ability to acquire no language, for example, ability to fight fatigue, to reduce the sleep the need for sleep, uh, to improve its strength. Uh, so I believe someone affected by a stroke or any other kind of injury, let's say Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, trauma, uh, lesions caused by drugs, with the new technologies, 
we will have the ability to repair and enhance the lost functions of the brain. And for the person who has not had a particular disease, these new computer chips will be able to enhance someone to be, let's say, better than well. So it is possible that we will have a new kind of humans in the future, probably two or three decades, decades at the most. These new humans are going to, to be transhumans. They're going to transcend where, what we are actually know as humans. I believe that evolution created us, but we have reached the point in which actually we're creating our own evolution. We're getting ourselves better. It, the, we're, the brain is the only organ able to study itself. If, if you think about it, there's no other organ. It's the most fascinating, most wonderful organ actually on Earth. No other species has a better organ than the, than the human brain. And uh, I, I, I believe that, that again, the, with the new technologies, with artificial intelligence, with computing, uh, we're going to have superhumans in a not very long distant future. Furthermore, the biological sciences have made leap advances. We will have a gene editing technologies that will be able to repair genetic errors, that they will be also able to enhance the genetic makeup of a given person. And we they will be able to, to create a, a sort of cyber superhumans. That's, I believe, already happening. Uh, and uh, it's going to be close to the norm in a few decades to have these kinds of enhancements. That, that's what I believe is, is what the most exciting part, not only of neurology, but medicine and for the society as a whole is is expected to happen. We have just a few more minutes left, and I just wanted to ask you, is there anything that you would like to say that we haven't talked about so far, or is there something that we have talked about that you feel you need to expand on before we go? Sure, absolutely. There are things that you can actually do that are free that no one has to, to give them to you. They cost no money, and they can make you better. The first one is exercise. If there was a medicine, a drug, that you could sell that will give you all the benefits of, of the exercise, that would be the most expensive drug in the world. Exercise is the most potent stimulus that we have to improve ourselves. When you exercise, your own body, which is a pharmacy in itself, creates growth factors that stimulate the brain cells to grow, to create synapses, communication between brain cells, to create new cells, and to improve the plasticity. So exercise is key. 
and it is for free. The second one is a healthy diet. Try to eat whole foods, mostly plants, and not too much. Fish, egg protein, it's also great. And, uh, and also, we should try to keep our weight at the lowest possible uh, level. Caloric restriction up to a certain extent and periods of fasting are known to be very strong, potent stimulus for brain and whole body re rejuvenation. So those two things for free, exercise, healthy diet, healthy lifestyle. I think those are great. And I think that's very true um, about all of them. And um, not only are they good for those who've had strokes, that's really good for people who haven't had strokes and maybe want to prevent um, one or at least get on the road to, uh, to a healthier lifestyle. But I do want to send a thank you out to the Laredo Stroke Support Group and Bill Hunter, Dee Dee Hunter, and uh, Paola Hooter. And to you, Dr. Sanchez, you've given us some things to think about. You've given us some hope. You've given us just a lot of information that's really good. So I hope at some time you can come back and talk with us. And um, we'll, I'm sure I can think of more questions uh, for another time. But anyway, again, thank you. Thank you to the Laredo Stroke Support Group. Um, this is Cam. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you for allowing me to participate with you. And of course, I will be available when you invite me again. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. The website address is https colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala which in Mandarin means, I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.